0: is the life with Mickey and Willie. <laughs> Strange life. <laughs> with time...
1: and welcome to This Strange Life. I am Mickey, the conduit between the freaks and the geeks. All right, I'm Willie. Good to be here. Oh, and this is Jimmy the Chin, a.k.a. Ryan Bredbin. <laughs> and today we're super pumped for this episode. We've got uh, a wonderful guy from the UK, a uh, political activist, former solicitor, author extraordinaire, and advocate for, uh, for Madeline McCann. Tony, uh, Tony Bennett, are you there? Can you tell us a bit about yourself?
2: Yes, um, good afternoon. Um, Well, um, in brief, I'm uh, 70 years old. Uh, I've done a variety of things in my career, including being a solicitor uh, for a while and a political activist for a while. That's perfectly true. And uh, in recent years, I've been uh, looking in particular at cases of uh, criminal cases where there's been a cover up or police corruption or both, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as an advocate for Madeline McCann, but I think uh, a researcher into matters concerning Madeline McCann has occupied a great deal of our time now for 11 years.
1: Well, so for for our listeners, uh, Tony, can you just give a little bit of a background into the Madeline McCann case and? Um, just in case, I mean, I'm sure that, that most of the world is familiar with this case now. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a interesting uh, story, but c- can you just uh, perhaps just yeah, uh, I think, give a little bit I of background?
2: No, I think there's no one in the world who's got a television or um, the internet who doesn't yeah. know the name Madeleine McCann. But, um, of course, the story began um, on the morning of the 4th of May, 2007 when all of a sudden the, um, the news waves were flooded with the story of how this young girl, Madeline McCann, had been abducted. And um, it was a very strange story. I remember very clearly the first reports and uh, saying to my wife that I thought there was something funny. And I'm by no means the only one. Thousands of other people thought this story was not quite right. And uh, one of the things that struck me was that uh, the initial news story said that um the children were leaving the, the the parents were leaving the children every night and checking on them every fifteen minutes. Well then another version was checking on them every thirty minutes and then another version was checking on them every hour. Well two things about that. Why all the discrepancies fifteen minutes, thirty minutes and one hour? But more relevantly, why who on earth goes out dining in the evening? Exactly. And then goes back um, 200 yards to uh, the uh, um, apartment to check. It just didn't add up. It made no sense at all. And so that really was the beginning of my interest. And it developed as the story developed over the following months.
0: So Medellin was, she She was English, right? And I, I believe that uh, her, she had a couple of, there was a couple of twins as well. So she wasn't the only child, if I, if I'm correct, Tony. And Madeline
2: was, yeah, Madeline was three years, nearly four at the time of this event. Yeah. And there were two younger children, uh, twins, nearly two years old.
0: And at the time they were on holiday. I think it was Portugal, wasn't it?
2: They were on holiday for a week's holiday in Portugal. And yes, they are British.
1: Yep.
0: So, and, and, so this
2: is 2000
1: and 2007. Yeah, and, and just set the scene for our uh, listeners, Tony. Madeline's parents, they're, they're, they're well-to-do people. They're doctors. The doctors, weren't they? Yeah. Right? So, so they're not, you know, you, you might associate people who leave their children without babysitters to be uh, less than reputable people, but these are two uh, well-qualified, well-respected doctors here. I mean, this is crazy <laughs> no, that they were leaving their children without supervision.
2: Both qualified doctors. Um, Jerry McCann was a cardiologist and is now Professor McCann. Um, And Kate McCann was a part-time general practitioner. Um, And they went on holiday with um, seven friends, four of whom were also doctors. So it was a very medical little group. Hmm. It was a high-powered group, if you like
1: wow i mean that that raises some questions in
2: itself
3: and they were they were traveling to a resort is that right some kind of quaint little resort and they're all there together as a big group interesting
0: and and i remember when this first hit the the tvs and um it reminded me of what the uh, John JonBenet Ramsey case would have been like just with the saturated media coverage and right. all the speculation 2007 to begin seven with. was kind of the start of the Twitter era too <laughs> yeah. and, you know but I'm sure sure Tony can sort of take us through through that in more detail but it really was sort of wall to wall coverage yeah um, yes yeah.
2: yes very much so and uh, I believe if you are correct in drawing parallels uh, with the John JonBenet Ramsey case in fact I would say there are a great many parallels worth close scrutiny. But again, we had in the John Benet Ramsey case, we had a very wealthy um, man. I can't remember his name now. Was it John Ramsey, the father? Yeah. yeah. But uh, he was he was um, wealthy, moved in high circles. Um, and, of course, that was a, a tragic story. We still don't know quite who killed John Benet Ramsey, but the evidence points to the family, I think, on, in that one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we just had um, Melinda Kula on uh, Tony, just just for your interest, and and she's been a, an advocate all you know throughout the years, and she actually presented some new evidence on on our
1: show. When was it, Mike? It was about sort of three weeks ago, something. Uh, like that. We we recorded three weeks ago, but yeah. actually it went out last week. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but by the time this goes out, yes, it'll probably be a, a few weeks. But yeah, Melinda had some very compelling evidence, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. Uh, so, um, Tony, um. Uh, there there were a couple of things that just didn't make sense. Before we get into that, can we finish the story of what happened that night? Uh, That's a great point, actually, Willie, yeah. So actually, Willie, you're dead right. We need to set the scene for our listeners, don't we? So they, they were out at dinner uh, the doctors, uh, the parents were doctors and they were out with a group of friends. They were uh, in, enjoying their sort of wine and, and dinner and, and, the, and the kids were left. How far away was was the room, Tony, from, from where they were eating?
2: Well, the uh, by as the crow flies, something like about 50 or 60 yards. Uh, if you walk the distance between the uh, restaurant and the room, we're talking about a distance of uh, 100 to 200 yards about a minute or two's walk mm. too
1: far though right mm.
2: i mean too far mm. when I you're mean, talking I, about... it's crazy
0: and, and what sort of time what, what, what sort of time was this local time
2: let me just ex- explain let me just t- tell you what the official version of events is yes. the, the okay. McCann's sure. version of events and the official yeah. version the official version is that all week they were dining in the tapas restaurant nearby and checking on the children every half hour now if we run through the events of that evening, the claim is made that um, Jerry McCann saw Madeleine alive at ten past nine. And she wasn't seen alive, according to Jerry McCann and everybody else thereafter. So the theory that's been put forward, the abduction theory, is that she was taken from her bed after ten past nine that evening and the alarm was raised at ten o'clock. Now, um, I'm sure you'll want to go into this in more detail, but there is a rival theory put forward by the Portuguese police, and uh, they believe that this was a complete hoax, uh, that the abduction story was invented to cover the fact that Madeline was already dead. That is it in a nutshell.
1: Right, okay. So, so is this, the, um, is this the, the sort of line that, of investigation that you tend to go down then, uh, Tony, that that, this, yes, th- that she was already think, dead at the time?
2: Yes, I think I can say that on, on on the record. I've got to be very careful what I do say because I'm under a court order here not to libel the McCann's. But what I can say to you is that, yes, there is a, an alternative view on the case and uh, that is the view I've tended to uh, follow for the past 10 years. Um, uh, okay. But as I say, I, I can't actually uh, suggest to you that she is dead, all I can say on the record is that many people believe that including the portuguese police
1: and and can you give us a, a couple of uh reasons as to why they might think that i mean th- this um this situation with the cadaver dogs is is a big one tony
2: well i i think for many of us the um the, the cadaver dogs is a, is a crucial issue you'll need to allow me a little bit of time to just explain the background to this um Very briefly, about three months after Madeleine's disappearance, the head investigator of the Portuguese police, Gonçalo Amaral, contacted British police for advice, telling the British police that he suspected that Madeleine was dead. And the British police advised him to use one of the world's top dog handlers, Martin Grime, to take his two dogs, Eddie and Keeler, to Portugal. And, um, by the way, Martin Grime is now a top um, dog handler for the FBI. He is really the top man in the world, really, on dog handling. Now, um, these dogs have got the ability to detect all kinds of things, as you probably know, not just bodies, but drugs, explosives, all manner of things. It's a constantly developing um, technology. And um, they have also got the capacity to to detect where a corpse might have been not an actual corpse but where a corpse might have been because the scent of a human corpse is so powerful that it lingers and can be detected months later and that's the um the uh basis on which um the dogs came to portugal and i just want to run through very quickly it won't be long but the uh the Odour of, of a human corpse was detected in uh, 11 separate places connected with the McCann's.
1: Wow. Oh, my mm. God.
2: In the house, on their clothes, in the car, in their hired car. Wow. And also uh, body fluids were found and some blood, which could well have belonged to Madeleine McCann. Now, I'll just add one thing at this point, and that is that there is no evidence of any other person having died in that apartment okay if if the dogs were alerting correctly to the scent of a corpse they could only be alerting to the scent of madeline mccann
1: very interesting so it's not like that there was another case of somebody dying in that room you know six months previous that she was the only reported death in that well that's that's pretty compelling evidence isn't it oh absolutely well
2: To many people, that is compelling. Now, I I need to say for the the record here that in terms of bringing this case to court, um, it's generally accepted that Martin Grimes' evidence would not be um, allowed unless it's backed up by compelling forensic evidence as well. Mm. And that that is rather lacking in this case. There isn't. A body of forensic evidence, which actually backs up these dogs' findings what we what we do have is a lot of circumstantial evidence, which some people say um, confirms that the dog 's alerts may have been correct, but it would not stand up in court without some other forensic evidence
1: are are you, are you at liberty to tell us what that circumstantial evidence is tony
2: well uh, I can go through um. Most certainly, some of the circumstantial evidence. Um, Please do, yeah. As, lo- as, as, long, as long as I stick to the facts, <laughs> I can I can tell you what those facts are. Yeah, um, yeah. The circumstantial evidence would be, for example, um, major changes of story by those involved by the McCanns and their friends. Um, major contradictions uh, in their evidence. Um, It it would also, uh, for example, include uh, uh, body language and the words they use. Um, There is a video um, made of a statement analyst in the United States, Peter Hyatt, who's analysed the interviews, the content of them, and uh, has drawn conclusions from that. Um, So, yes, there is a variety of circumstantial evidence, um, which, of course, is sufficient in some cases to uh, achieve a conviction, sometimes Without a body, if there is sufficient circumstantial evidence, there are cases where a conviction can be secured.
1: Right. Okay. Okay, so that so that's the cadaver dogs then, and and that's the uh, circumstantial evidence surrounding that. Uh, do, can I can I ask you something, Tony? Do do the do, do Jerry and um, I'm sorry, what was Kate? Did Jerry and Kate do they have a do they have an explanation for the, for what the cadaver dogs uh, might have found? That's a,
2: that's a, that's a very good question. Um, when they when they were first confronted with this evidence, <clears throat> they were shown a video of. Martin Grime taking his dogs around their flat, uh, taking the dogs to inspect their clothing, taking the dogs to inspect the um, car, their hired car. So there is a video in existence, uh, which you can see. It's on the Internet. I think I've seen it. I
0: I can remember this, I'm pretty sure.
2: And um, you will see the dog um, getting... Hugely excited, barking furiously at a little area below the curtains in the living room, below the window. And you can hear um, Martin Grime on the tape saying, "Look, this is uh, a clear indication that he uh, is detecting the scent of a cadaver."
1: And and can can you give us? uh, Can you give? Uh, give us an idea, uh, Tony. Where, where, where was that sent within within the sort of apartment that they were staying? Was it near her bed? Was it in the? Did you say it was in the living room? Or
2: yeah, I've got I've got have got a list of them here, which is taken by the way from the Portuguese police report. And yeah, um, yeah, because I, I think that's places. compelling. There were four places in the house. One was the living room. The other was uh, the dog allergic to the wardrobe in the McCanns. Uh, master bedroom.
1: Interesting, right. Mm.
2: And then there was a, an alert, alert on the veranda and an alert in the garden as well.
1: Okay, so that seems like a clear path from wherever she I might have do- been in the house out to the car or, or whatever, right?
2: Well, that, that is that, that is what the, those who think... That, I should just make this point about the cadaver alerts. Now, they, ne- they may not be able to be used in... A court of law without forensic evidence, but for a for a police officer, they are strong indications. Obviously, they, they they may not be able to be used in court as evidence, but any police these police dogs are not used um, for fun. They are used because they help the police investigation. And uh, you were asking what the parents' explanations were. Well, they they watched this video with a police officer. And they reacted with all kinds of strange explanations. One of them was that the alerts must, the dog must have got confused with dirty, dirty nappies they were carrying in the back of the car.
4: <sighs>
2: right.
1: Is that possible? Um, that
2: was one version.
1: Is, is that possible, no, Tony?
2: No because, no, because dogs don't get confused. Uh, these, these dogs are trained to... Uh, to, only to alert to the things that they are yeah. trained for.
0: And and also who'd put dirty one, nappies in the in the back of their car? Yeah. <laughs>
2: well you know? I, I know, yes, I know. I know. It, That's it, a great point. I mean, point, I'll be it? honest with really, you. It does it does sound desperate, doesn't it, really? It does. Um the other one that was rotting meat, that they were carrying rotting meat in the back of the car.
1: As you do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I I think I think you've got the point without me having to make it. Yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> We're happy to take those leaps
4: for you. <laughs> there was a
2: there was a further idea put forward by one of um, Jerry McCann's relatives, his sister, and that was that uh, the blood in the apartment was caused by mosquitoes flying into the wall. Oh my God. Jesus.
0: So so there was uh, there was blood spatter uh, residue on the walls. Then was there?
2: there, was, there were, well, there were body fluids found in the um, both in the flat and in the. Uh, in the car. Um, the only blood residue was found in, in the, the um, living room where the uh, dogs alerted to the cadaver scent. So and on that particular spot in the living room, you've got both the strong scent of a corpse having been in that position and you've got some blood as well. And, how and big I think I would,
0: should... So, sorry, Tony, how big would have these would these drops have been? Are we, are we talking sort of microscopic uh, pieces of, of, of blood or... Uh, which could sort of yes, signify people trying to clean up or... or yeah, so it's super well, microscopic.
2: Um, well, yes and no. The, the, um, the main find of body fluids and blood was the police had to actually lift two tiles in the living room, in that exact spot I'm talking about, just below the curtains, below the window. The dog, uh, the dog, the cadaver dog, alerted very strongly to that spot. And then the blood dog did the same, and so the police, to get a sample, lifted two tiles, I think it was two tiles, and then took samples, and uh, they were investigated by the Portuguese Forensic Service and uh, by the Forensic Science Service in um, Britain as well.
0: Got you, got you. Mm. So what, what are, what are they the, sort of... On com- the,
2: on the fr- Forensic evidence, before we go any further, let me just make this point in, <laughs> to anticipate what you might ask me. Did mm. it show that Madeleine could have been the uh, uh, the corpse, as it were? Could it have been Madeleine's blood? The answer to that is yes, it could. The forensic information was it could have been Madeleine's blood, mm. but she wasn't excluded, as a, in other words. But um, when the second forensic samples were taken, it was... Uh, shown by the laboratory that it could have been other people's blood as well. So the to, the forensic evidence was shall we say inconclusive. Could have been right. Madeline's blood might not have Got been. Got you.
4: Got you.
1: Hmm. The, the, this just gets crazier and crazier every time I hear it. I mean, because they uh, the, the, there's a lot of I, I I don't know what stage we are here. Tony whether we can get into to what the sort of official narrative is are, are we there yet Tony or is there anything else that that we need to 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 plumb before we before we get there uh, you know um,
2: I, I think uh, one thing that we we i was just i was going to get to and i think you touched on it the one of you mentioned the Don Benny Ramsey case and yes. uh, one of the one of the extraordinary features of this case which was the thing that really caught my interest in the end was the extraordinary number of British police officers, um, security services, um, agencies like MI5, who suddenly rushed over to Pride Delusion in the first ten days. Now I've I've sent you a list of that, <laughs> of the of the, um, the the people who went over, and it's it's a huge list um, uh, of. Police officers from Leicestershire, staff from MI5, staff from Special Branch. Then there was a a government-sponsored agency called Control Risks Group. Uh, Two ambassadors descended on Pride of straight away. And uh, also, and this was the thing that got me uh, hooked on the case, really, after three weeks, Tony Blair, who was the Prime Minister then, sent the head of his media unit, Clarence Mitchell, to pry a loose to supervise operations now,
4: hmm.
2: uh, Tony Blair had a very big media unit, forty strong, cost the cost of fortune. Clarence Mitchell was the director of that unit. he ran it, and I, I hope you can understand me when i when I say to you that when I learned that Tony Blair sent the head, the boss of his media unit, to Pride a um it, Portugal. Um, I smelled a rat. To be honest, I thought, well, why? Why is what is there about this case that means that the head of his media spinning unit has to go to Portugal? There must be something more to yeah. this case.
1: Tony is is so interesting that you say this. We had a guy called William Ran, Ramsey on, uh a, a few weeks ago who who was who's an expert on, amongst other things, uh, the smiley face killers and the. Um, where the West Memphis three, and and he made uh-huh. the point that uh, in many of these, uh, many of these murder cases, you're being um, manipulated by um, uh, what's it called? You know, uh, Edward Bernays um, like PR PR. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like a PR um, stunt, the whole thing. And and you've been, you, you don't realize that, that you've been kind of influenced by these narratives that, that these uh, mass sort of media manipulators are forcing on you? I think one, uh, one, you. Of the inter-
2: one of the interesting things is how this media manipulation started from the very first broadcasts, which were on the m- Friday morning. And uh, if you listen, if you go back and listen to those early broadcasts, eight o'clock, nine o'clock on the Friday morning, there was one story that dominated, which was the Madeleine McCann story. And on each of those broadcasts, we had interviews with the McCann's friends and um, supporters who all said that they'd got, had calls from Jerry McCann overnight saying Madeleine's been abducted, Madeleine's gone, and uh, adding to that, uh, somebody's broken through the shuttles and crashed through the door. So there was, I can take you to the exact quotes, there was four of them. One was... Um, Jewel Renshaw, there was a couple of relatives, and then John Corner, who uh, was um, the godfather of one of the McCann's children. They all told the media that they'd had a call from Jerry McCann saying the shutters have been broken into smashed bits, door broken through, and so on. So the, me- the media promoted this idea right from the off that there was a violent entry, and Madeleine was taken away. Now, I, I must tell you, uh, without going into too much detail, that that story collapsed within 24 hours.
3: That's fast. Because, yep. the,
2: because the police and the manager of the um, ocean club down in pride de Luz examined the shutters, examined the window, examined the doors, and there was no sign whatsoever of forced entry. None at all.
3: Something that um, I'm interested but, in is is it the room that Madeline was sleeping in. Were there any other kids in that room at the time when the parents were at dinner?
2: I'm I'm awfully sorry. I didn't hear that too well.
3: I'm saying uh, the room that Madeline McCann was asleep in the night that she was abducted or went missing, there were other children in their, in their suite or flat. What about in the room that she was sleeping in? Were there other kids also oh, in um, there?
2: All, always assuming that Madeline was actually alive that night, which is um, yeah something that may or may not be true. But if she if she was, then yes, the three of them were together in the same room, yes.
3: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean,
1: that raises some questions in, it, in like, itself, doesn't it?
3: Right. So, you know, if an abductor went in there and was either able to be so cat burglar silent that the other kids weren't alarmed or they, you know, they didn't get abducted or do you just kind of that doesn't really hold up to this my smell test you know
1: yeah because you, you'd think if, if one kid's kind of getting pulled out of bed and, and it's been a, a as you uh, said a minute ago tony in inverted commas uh, a, a violent entry then you know the other kids are probably going to be alerted aren't mm. they and, and be awake so, so the, how even, da-
2: yeah. so, so even is, as the story stands go
1: on yeah no tony you, you go ahead you go ahead
2: yeah. It, even as the story stands, um, the the McCanns changed their story. This is one of the changes of story I was going to come to. What the McCanns changed their story to to say that they they must have left the doors unlocked. So when the <laughs> story about the shutters being being broken collapsed, they said, Oh no, actually we um we must have left the patio door open and therefore the abductor got in that way. Now, even then, um And bearing in mind it was dark at the time, it was dark at nine o'clock already, Um, and there was no lighting on, no lighting seen. The abductor would have to find his way into the apartment, find one of the children, and take that child away without disturbing either Madeline or the other two children. Um, Now that would be quite a feat in itself, but then to leave no forensic trace at all, no footmarks, no thumbprints, no sign of... Uh, no forensic trace whatsoever no hairs nothing at all um is obviously another puzzle
1: that's that's interesting tony so so um when forensics had been in the apartment there were no uh dna there was no dna outside the families in there or, or sorry i should say no dna that couldn't otherwise be be explained
2: yeah there was there was no dna from any uh any stranger at all um one of the strange things, now you've mentioned it, was that there was, and if you can believe this, they could not find any of Madeline's DNA in that apartment to test.
4: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: Now, this is quite this is quite extraordinary, and uh, people have written um, long screeds about this on the internet. But it is a fact that obviously the police wanted a forensic sample of Madeline from a hair, or from saliva, or something like that. There was nothing zilch nada nothing at all and um because of that jerry mccann had to be sent off back to england a few weeks later to get a sample of her dna from her pillow at the home in leicestershire now Uh uh, it's a great puzzle to all of us as to how madeline could have been in that flat for six days sleeping on a pillow sleeping on a bed um hairbrush hairs here there and everywhere how come can you can you help me on this how come there is no dna at all in that flat of madeline so uh,
1: i mean t- t- two things spring to mind for me uh, tony the, the first thing would be that a she wasn't there at all right and the second thing would be that there was some kind of professional uh, cleanup done following her, her disappearance like that they, they they bleached the place or they they you know totally decontaminated the place do, do any of those uh theories well, uh, hold true well, to you Tony? um
2: let me put it this way there is no actual evidence of any cleanup operation having been carried out
1: um they would know that right well, would they
2: all, all, all I can say is that it's a. Well, let me put it this way: it's a it's a mystery that needs an answer, and I I can't supply it really. I can't supply the answer. But uh, what is the answer to the fact there's no DNA of Madeline in the flat at all? It, it you know not even a hair. It does seem surprising, doesn't it?
3: Especially at, on, on, six, on six, the six, account six, that they were six, allegedly seven, they were allegedly visiting, you know, going to check on the kids every either fifteen thirty or one hour in order for someone to break in there leave no trace whatsoever the kids other kids not to hear a peep see a peep scream or anything and then there's none of her dna in there that is just a very very kind of flimsy convenient (laughs) you know answer to this in in my opinion
2: just coming back to the uh you, you mentioned the the pr aspect um it wasn't only um, Clarence Mitchell who came down uh, on behalf of the British government. Um, the um, the company that re- ran the uh, holiday, organised it, Mark Warner, was represented by one of the most powerful, and if I dare say one of the most evil PR companies that's ever existed, called Bell Pottinger. Uh, does that ring a bell at all?
1: Not, not personally. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, them, Tony?
2: If you... Well, Bell Bell Pottinger represented um, the great and the good in this country and elsewhere. They also represented a series of very corrupt regimes in Central Asia and Africa. And they came to grief last year. You can look it up on the Internet when they represented a very, very dodgy South African politician and lied through their teeth about uh, about this man. And that was eventually exposed by some a good work done by researchers in South Africa, and the firm has since collapsed. But in All its right. time, it was it, in its time it was the most um, powerful media company in in Britain. And uh, when Madeline McCann was reported missing, at the very next day, the managing director and his assistant uh, came down to prize a Luz and um, uh, and did various bits of uh, work on the case. Um, so uh, it kind of illustrates. El- that this, you know, the, the, the PR involvement was extensive and also lawyers, of course. Lawyers were hired immediately as well, which you wouldn't normally do if you just lost your child, would you? Yeah. You wouldn't rush for the nearest lawyer, would you?
1: <laughs> that, that seems fishy to me. C- can you just remind me of the, uh, the name of the PR company again, please? Tony? Bell Pottinger. Bell Pottinger, right. Okay, do you know the Bell them, Pottinger. I, I've, I've it, done it, projects it, it,
0: for them. You've done where, projects where that, they've yeah. had press releases, they've come through us, they need it in XYZ for XYZ country, and we put it into a language for them. Right, yeah? okay. So yeah, I mean, the, these guys are huge.
2: Let, let me just tell you one fact while we're on, on that, before we move on to something else. The, the boss of um, Bell Pottinger uh, was called Tim Bell, and uh, he boasted um, that he had been paid half a million pounds by the McCanns to uh, and the quote was to keep madeline on the front page for 12 months so wow. half a million pounds paid by the McCanns, or perhaps by their fund because they set up a fund to try and find madeline so either the McCanns or the fund paid this pr giant half a million pounds just to keep Madeline on the front page for the next 12 months. That's really
0: fishy. Wow. Um, c- but t- it's, it's also incredible, isn't it, the, the amount of planning and uh, the strategy that, that went into... It's cold. just just uh, Of course it's cold, but, you know, that went into this. You know, I mean, a lot of people, they, they just think, okay, the, the press turned up, they got their story, and bang, away they went, and the narrative let continued. Just, but just, there was a lot of me- manipulation going on.
2: Let me just add to that, because you, you've touched on, a, on a, a, again, another thing. This is a fact that almost nobody knows about this case. Um, on the 8th of May, Tuesday the 8th of May, which is b- barely four days after Madeline had um, been reported missing, a very high, top-level group of people met under the chairmanship of the chief constable of Leicestershire Police at the time, Matt Baggett. Uh, in order to monitor the Madeleine McCann case. Now, so this committee was set up in place already on the Tuesday, the 8th of May, under the chairmanship of Matt Baggett, the chief constable of Leicestershire Police. Now, we know from reports that... uh, um, Guarded reports that were published on the... Are you still there?
1: We are indeed, sir, yeah. Yep. Uh,
2: ...that were reported on the... Uh, internet many years later, that the committee consisted of 12 agencies um, the Home Office, the uh, Foreign and Commonwealth Office, um, MI5, uh, similar organizations. Now, the rationale for this um, was said to be in order to control the publicity, but, but surely. The, on the 8th of May, the priority was to find Madeleine McCann, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, everybody's looking out, the police are looking out, the public are looking out in Portugal. So fishy. Why, why would you need to get top civil servants from the Home Office, the Foreign Office, um, all these other agencies, the police? Why would they need to be there just to control the publicity?
0: And is is that unprecedented? It's never happened before where all of these, you know major you know uk institutions sort of came together i'm assuming it's unprecedented right
2: uh, i would well I-, I can't say there's never been a similar case but not that i'm aware of and yeah. i I, th- I think the word unprecedented could be used about many aspects of this <laughs> yeah case. yeah um, the i mean the involvement of all these lawyers and pr people as well as mi5 um the special branch and so on In- incidentally um just on that topic, um, in his the Portuguese detective uh, who ran this investigation for five months, Gonçalo Amaral wrote a book on the case. Are you aware of that?
1: Yes, yeah, I am actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: he wrote he wrote a book on the case called "The Truth of the Lie." I'll tell you more about that uh, as we go on. But uh, he was um, in his book, you'll find that. <laughs> He couldn't believe the number of British security officers and police officers coming. He couldn't find space for them in his offices. They were trying to muffle in on the whole thing all the time. And, uh, in fact, that was the reason why he was kicked off the investigation, because in September that year, in September, he he vented his frustration in private to a journalist, you know, poured his heart out and said, look, the, the British mi5 and the police they're hampering my investigation they won't let me do this they won't let me do that and unfortunately for him uh the journalist <laughs> knew a good story when he saw one and so um he uh he didn't treat it as private but blasted it over the portuguese media Oof. with the result that uh, yeah. embarrassment was caused and um he was removed from the investigation a few months later. Sorry, a few weeks later. Yeah, Tony, totally.
1: because I remember that the narrative in the in the UK press were that were that Port, the Portuguese police were incompetent, and that they didn't know what the hell they were doing. But it sounds from what you're saying like they were they were hamstrung at every uh, every turn to, to get their bloody job done.
2: Right. Let me answer that as follows: If Madeline McCann really was abducted. Then they probably didn 't do the best job in the world, if on the other hand she wasn 't abducted and she died, then they did a very good job under the circumstances and um, right. if you go to the um, if you go to the internet, an American um, prosecutor and child expert Wendy Murphy gave a very good uh, um, uh, resume of this point and uh, said that uh, in her opinion the um the uh, the case what was that Madeleine had died, but she also made the point that he, she thought that Goncalo Amaral had done a brilliant investigation under um, very difficult circumstances. And I've got here in my hand a 10-page ten, ten report by um, uh, Goncalo Amaral's uh, deputy, the uh, inspector Tavarez de Almeida. Now, uh, not going to read out all of that, but if you have a look at that... Um, it's quite clear that they went through this case with a fine-tooth comb. Let me, just, let me just give you a flavour of the headings on this report. and You can get it on the internet. Anybody can search for it. The McCanns worked on their account of events and developed it. In the next um, heading we have um, a bit further on, the media coverage. Again, how they were hampered by the media coverage. Then there's a bit about the cadaver dogs and at the end um, they say strong evidence that the crime scene was altered and then they list um, a whole page, I won't go through it in detail, the facts that point to Madeline's death in the apartment. And then at the end they carefully um, document their conclusions with evidence and uh, it's quite clear that this is a very, very thorough report based on their assessment of the case. So if (laughs) <laughs> Madeline really was abducted, then you could argue that the police had failed to do certain things. But if, in fact, she wasn't, they did a very, very difficult job under very adverse media publicity because the media was jumping on them all the time saying that you haven't done this and you haven't done that.
3: So, so Tony, I'm interested also in some of the other people that were on that on that trip, the top of seven. Did we hear anything from them? Were there any witness accounts? Any... Anything that led along that, that night that, that people said happened? You talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the people as part of that crew, not just Madeline McCann's yes. parents.
2: Well, there were four families um, of two adults, and there was eight children between them, and one of the um, uh, party took along their granny as well. Um, as I said to you, four out of the, um, those eight people were... Um, uh, doctors, and um, they um, were involved to a certain extent in supporting the McCann's story. And I'd like, if I may, just to take a, a minute or so just to go through one example of this because one of the uh, crucial evidential features of the case was an alleged visit by one of them, Dr David Payne, to the McCann's apartment at about 6.30 in the evening, the night um, Madeline was reported missing. So this was 6.30 just before they all went down for dinner. And uh, both Kate McCann and David Payne gave evidence that of this visit by Dr. Payne to the apartment. And Dr. Payne, in his statement, says that he saw Madeline alive at this point and the children at 6.30 p.m. Now... When you look at their statements, they are violently contradictory about this visit. I've actually made a list of 20 of them. Let me just start with the first three. Um, When Dr. Payne first mentioned this visit, he said it took place at 5 o'clock. This was later changed to 6.30. When he first made the statement, he said that Jerry and Kate McCann had both been there. Then he changed that to saying it was just Kate McCann. Then there were uh, other con- contradictions, for example, um, David Payne said he was there for um, up to 30 minutes, whereas Kate McCann said no, 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 I was in the shower at the time, I came to the front door, uh, could only just speak to him through the, uh, through the door, and uh, he went away, he never entered the flat. So I could go on and on uh, wow. with all the other 17 contradictions, but there's no way that visit ever happened.
3: Massive discrepancies. In my, opinion,
2: in, in my opinion, it didn't happen. It, uh, and actually, the the Portuguese investigator didn't agree either that that was evidence of Madeline being alive. He dismissed that. Because okay. obviously, when, if pe- if two people are so contradictory about an event that's supposed to have happened, um, either one of them is lying completely, and the other is not, or vice versa. But the mm. most likely. Explanation is that the visit was made up in an attempt to prove that Madeline was alive at six thirty.
1: Right, absolutely. um c- Can I ask a question? And this might be a little bit of a curveball, but the other parents—they uh, had children as well, right? This Tapper Seven, yes, they did. Uh, and were they yeah. all left alone in in their respective rooms that night, or, or, or were some parents more right. diligent than than Matt than? Uh, um, Jerry, Jerry and, and Kate. Jerry and Kate, yeah.
2: Right. I, I will answer that by saying that according to the claims of the entire group, according to their claims, uh, they were indeed all being left in the same way. Um, the only slight exception to that is Dr. David Payne uh, said that he had a, one of these uh, intercom arrangements, so that if the child his children, woke up, they would hear it in the restaurant. But the other three, they all mean that they'd had this checking regime all week and uh, left their children in the uh, in the flat.
1: So whatever happened, you know, whatever the fucking... Sorry, excuse my language, but whatever, whatever the story was, it, it's incompetence, isn't it? And, and it's on on a huge scale, isn't I it? I want to interject. So
3: do you think it's incompetent that they would leave them alone and check on them, leave them alone and check on them?
4: Yeah,
1: you don't leave your kids alone at all. Man, if if f- the... I don't toddlers. know toddlers. Yeah, toddlers is is young. And
2: I, actually, I, I, I'm i quite glad you've touched on that because this makes me uh, go into another PR angle. You might be interested in your listeners might be yeah, interested please, in. Yeah, please, please do. I agree. I I agree with what you said that uh, it's not the sort of thing that uh, you know one normally does. And I've, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent. Uh, it's it's not the sort of thing one does. But Clarence Mitchell, the um PR spokesman for Tony Blair and for the government, put it about very strongly and repeatedly that this was the British way of looking after children, that it was um, very common. No, very common, he Mm. said, for uh, children to be left in their hotel rooms and hotel um, uh, apartments and uh, this sort of thing now. the, The funny thing was there was a chorus on the Internet of parents all over the country saying, absolutely not. Um, but there was um, a collection of media pundits who all um, rushed to say, oh, yes, you know, well, that's the sort of thing I did uh, with my children as well. It was almost as if, though, the, the media celebrities all joined in to say, well, yes, of course, this is the British way of doing things. Ma- may but may it, I in- ask a
1: question, Tony? Do, do the, the McCanns or any one uh, anyone of those Tapper 7 that night have connections in high places have have kind of either media or government or or kind of royal connections is, is this where the the cover-ups coming that that they they the well, people. Um, yeah
2: many many questions have been asked about that um the uh as far as we know um the other members of what's called the tapas seven the other families uh, did not uh, jerry mccann had some interesting connections with um the nuclear industry and that he was um uh on, on a committee which um was looking at the effects of um, nuclear uh um contamination if you like on, on people uh, i think the um committee was called comare c-o-m-a-r-e and uh we believe that on the same committee was the brother of the um prime minister gordon brown so there are some connections there nothing nothing very striking perhaps but um, Jerry McCann was certainly in good favour with the nuclear industry so so why do you and, think all these
1: people were rushing to their defence why, why do you think Tony Blair had his PR people go out there why do you think all the celebrities were suddenly saying oh well we leave our kids alone as well blah 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 what was that why were they why were they in favour so much when, when clearly uh, they're pieces of shit
2: well exactly is well, it
0: um is it could it be virtue signaling i mean now that we're in this sort of age of of mm, uh of mass adoption of social media and just saturation of media yeah. in general
2: that, it, it, that's that is a theory that's been promoted that uh, one one theory that's promoted to explain this phenomenon is that um oh dear there was such a big rush of publicity we must try and do something we must be seen to do something so that is one possible explanation, but it, I'm afraid it doesn't cover why 40 people from the security services and the police and the uh, MI5 and so on all descended ambassadors and everybody else. It doesn't really explain that degree of involvement, I don't think, anyway.
0: Yeah. So what, what do you think does explain that then, Tony?
2: um i've got to be careful here obviously because as i think you know i'm under a court order and and i'm not okay really let me to,
0: let me rephrase that really what, by. what are yeah. some of the alternative uh theories yeah, yeah. of of why this is uh why why it is or why it was what it was
2: right well what one one theory is that uh as as you've suggested that perhaps jerry mccann was playing on connections with the nuclear industry the, the um the McCann's main lawyer had a big connection with the uh, uh, nuclear industry as well. He worked as the legal officer for British nuclear fuels. So that's one line of attack. Um, I can only say that some of us think that there must be, must be something about this case which involves something immoral or illegal. In other words, there must to, to explain this level of involvement, the PR, the lawyers, the mm. secret services, there must be something connected uh, to this case somewhere. Uh, well, uh, I mean,
1: I, 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 in, I, I don't want to go full on um, you know, conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, full on conspiracy theory, but are we talking a, like a paedophile ring, some kind of uh, child uh, trafficking conspiracy? Because in in those times, 10
0: years ago, it was very, very... Uh, being pushed big time wasn't it by by the yeah, media it was very much in the public yeah um, i mean this is the new boogeyman that you needed to to watch out for right the the resident pedophile yeah yeah
2: yeah i am going to i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that um, i'm going to pass comment on that. Okay. that all i will say is that is that is a suggestion that's made by some people so i, I think, think your
1: silence uh, speaks volumes
2: Tony. so
0: what what are some of the alternative theories then of why there's this sort of army of uh, of politicians, of uh, ministries, of uh, police, etc., etc., uh, PR people involved there.
1: Hey, this is Mickey. Block Mesh is an awesome new TSL sponsor, and it's got a huge goal creating the world's first decentralized, cost free communication network. Plotbest uses mesh networking technology where nodes connect directly to one another to route data without any kind of centralized authority. An internet connection isn't necessary either, as the nodes' devices communicate directly, aka meshing. The South Africa based BlockMesh platform will allow users to communicate and transact in a peer to peer network without data costs or banking fees. On BlockMesh platform, you can chat while offline. It's secure and encrypted and has an ERC20 enabled wallet with offline payments. Additionally, there are three additional platforms on the roadmap MeshDev, developer focused, MeshX, incentivized Wi Fi, and MeshAd, an advertising platform that will target ads. After a successful coin sale, Block Mesh is listed on HitBC and CoinMarketCap, and you can find out more at HTTPS, do people actually still say that? Http. uh, anyway, www.blockmesh.io, go and check them out, Block Mesh.
2: Perhaps you'd like to go through the list of 43 people I've identified who rushed out there and ask each one of them the same question. I don't know what kind of answer you'll get, but um, uh, okay. all I can say let me let me put it this way: there was um, there's evidence of a highly coordinated campaign here. That this wasn't just a few individuals rushing off. Somebody, in my opinion, somebody high up, coordinated this and said, "Look, there's something here that." Uh, mustn't come out, send the lawyers, send the PR men, send the secret services.
3: Okay. You, can can so, you tell us a little bit about the Tanner sighting at nine fifteen that night?
2: Um, I can, I can tell you a lot about the, the, the Tanner sightings and, um, uh, and all these sightings that there have been, um, so l- let me just briefly, um, explain the scenario regarding the, uh, the sightings. Um, On the following morning, um, Jane Tanner, who was the wife of one of the doctors, she wasn't a doctor herself, but was a marketing uh, executive, um, she told the police that she had um, seen a man walking, carrying a child, um, past the McCann's apartment at 9.15. Now, uh, if you delve into the... Portuguese police reports and the one that I've just mentioned by Tavares de Almeida the one that was done in September it's quite clear that within a few days they didn't believe a word of what she was saying
3: and so what did she say what did she say she saw just just a a man carrying can you go into what
2: Uh, okay a man she didn't see his face didn't see his face walking hurriedly carrying um a child Walking fast at r- the top of the road, she says she saw him for about four or five seconds, a few meters ahead, and then lost sight of him.
3: And so, why why was she discredited, or why why did that story just fall apart like a like a flower?
2: Um, right, she she was discredited rapidly because she kept on changing her story. I don't know how much time you've got, but uh, let me just give the highlights. Um, within. Um, Ten within nine days of that, she was um, put uh, given an identity parade where she might be able to identify a suspect. And various people were asked to walk in front of a, a police car with a, a two way mirror in it. Yeah, and uh, she picked out somebody called Robert Murat as the person she'd seen seen on the third um, of May. Who's that? Um, Robert Murat was the first suspect and. Within two days of Jane Tanner saying, I'm sure this was the um, man I saw, Robert Murat was arrested and made a suspect. So after 10 days, we have Jane Tanner stating that Robert Murat was the um, man that she'd seen in the dark uh, a few days before. Now, if we wind on a bit further, several months... Uh, for reasons which would be too complicated to go to That's go fine, into, all yeah. this, so I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Um, she then uh, resigned from that, and uh, and basically, uh, um, although she didn't say it um, openly, she um, abandoned the claim that it was Robert Murat, and she then said that the man looked like a suspicious man with a moustache that uh, the McCanns had identified as a suspect. And if you go to the news reports for um, January uh, 2008, there was a big story front page in the News of the World saying, this is the lead suspect, man with straggly hair and a moustache. Now, Jane Tanner was quoted in that article as saying that, I think this is the man that I saw back in May. (laughs) Now, can you see an obvious flaw with this? She, She doesn't see the man's face at all. In May, yeah, eight months later, in January 2008, a man with straggly hair and a moustache said, Yes, that's the man. I'm pretty sure that's the man.
3: It makes no so, sense. So, um, and the,
2: the, if again, if you go through her detailed statements, and she's made many, the description of the adductor and the clothes seems to change from um, one to another. Now, the extraordinary thing about this is that. Um, There was a program in Britain uh, in October 2013, so this is six years later, in which the Metropolitan Police claimed to have identified the man seen by Jane Tanner. And uh, if you believe the Metropolitan Police, they uh, produced an image of a man who had come forward six years later to say, I must be the man seen by Jane Tanner. (laughs) And not only that, but he was apparently wearing the same clothes that week as the um, man drawn by Jane Tanner uh, six years previously. But to cap it all, um, this man said, Well, actually, I've got the um, very pair of pyjamas that my um, daughter was wearing uh, on that occasion six years ago, and I've, I've kept them, and here they are. In other words, to prove that, in an attempt to prove that he was the man seen six years ago.
3: Well, that's all very convenient. Um,
2: yeah. And actually, um, because of the, I I want to say this to you while I've got, you know, the opportunity to talk to you, I would like to say that to my mind, this illustrates the power of the media because that show, that show was prepared, um, nine months in advance at a cost of a million pounds to the BBC and a million pounds to the metropolitan police. And I sat and watched it with some, some people in Harlow. And, um, the people I watched it with were, were not, didn't have the same view of the case as I did. And, um, you know, they said, oh, yes. Oh, well, they found him. Oh, jolly good. You know, well, that, that rules him out now. Yeah. It, to me, it showed the power of the media because I think you listening to this story, the way I've explained it, you'd think, hmm you know, how likely is that? But a lot of people would 7 million people watch that program. Yeah. And I bet you that six, six and a half million out of them would probably believe that the police were telling the truth about this man. Yep.
3: Yeah, that's so true. I mean, you can't expect everybody to get into the the depth that that uh, you're into on this. So they see a report like that. And they, you know, they take it for what they see. And then all of a sudden, that's the belief of 6 million people. And as you always say like it's harder to undo a lie than it is to you know you you you're just hard to turn that around once it's in people's mind and so that was the I,
2: I, you know I, you, go, you have you have to look at the media coverage in, in in detail over what is it now 11 years because i've been mentioning a few things uh, circumstantial evidence dogs yeah. this sort of thing which are never ever mentioned uh, no no article in the last few years has even mentioned the fact that these dogs were sent by Britain's top dog handler. Mm -hmm. It's just airbrushed that out completely. And um, so all of this evidence, for example, these contradictions I mentioned about this alleged visit of David Payne to the apartment, it's never mentioned in any newspaper. And, of course, I've been, uh, (laughs) I'm only too aware of that because I tried to promote these things in the media and the McCanns took me to court in the end because I kept on, Yeah, making allegations and which is why i can't make any allegations
3: understand all i
2: can say to you is here are some facts worth your listeners having a look into
3: yeah no we're glad to hear it and uh we appreciate that so after the uh tanner sighting was really discredited there was the smith sighting at 10 o'clock an irish couple can you talk a little bit about that Mm
2: -hmm. um it's a most mysterious sighting um uh the the mankins <laughs> let me just give you the facts and we'll see what people make of it. Um on the on the fifteenth of May, that is twelve days after Madeline was reported missing, um Robert Murat was arrested and made an official suspect. And as you can imagine, if you put your mind back to the fifteenth of May, wall to wall coverage on the media day after day. 12 days in a row, and at last, a suspect. So we had Robert Murat photographed, um, media comment, um, headline news, suspect found, um, maybe responsible for the abduction of Madeleine McCann. Now, the very next day, Martin Smith from Ireland said that he had had a sighting of a man carrying a child. So you have a look at the connection of events. So Martin Smith said nothing at all for um, 12 days, twelve, thirteen 13 days. And then suddenly, uh, the next day, he rings up the uh, police in Ireland and says, look, I, I saw somebody um, uh, and uh, carrying a child. So the first as anybody's heard from him. Now, the interesting thing about that is that we know, because the families admitted it, that Martin Smith knew Robert Murat. How well he knew it is open to question, but the family admitted that uh, they'd met and met several times over a period of two years. So if you look at those facts in isolation, uh, he doesn't do anything for 12 days. Somebody he knows is arrested and made a suspect. And the very next morning he rings up and says, oh, by the way, I've just remembered that uh, I saw a man carrying a child. And he then told the police... I can assure you that that man was not Robert Murat. I know Robert Murat so well that although I saw somebody, that man was not Robert Murat. Now, um, I, I I tend to believe, and so do many, that there's something rather strange about that. Um, but the uh, Smiths will tell you that uh, they all saw a man carrying a child. And um, if we go back to that television program in 2013 um, the police put that sighting forward as the, the main suspect. The, the sighting had been forgotten about by everybody for six years, but suddenly the police revived it in that 2013 program. And, uh, he was, and maybe still is the, the main suspect, this, this mysterious man.
3: And even that was what, five years ago now, and he's still the main suspect.
2: Uh, actually I've been busy asking freedom of information at, at questions and, uh, I asked one last year, and they said that he wasn't the um, chief suspect anymore, any longer. They weren't looking for um, for that man anymore. So, any who longer. is now? I don't know. The police won't say.
1: Okay, uh, who's? I heard a story, um, Tony, that there was supposedly someone traveling in a in some kind of uh, mobile home that might have picked her up. Is is this the same guy, this Murat guy, or? Is is that something different? Do, uh, do you know right, anything uh, about
2: it? I think, right. I know a lot about it. I've researched this uh, a, a great deal. Um, the uh, I, I would only advise the your listeners to completely uh, avoid the whole thing because it's right. Uh, okay, there's nothing in it. But I, I will just say for the record that um, the man concerned was called Raymond Hewlett, and uh, he was travelling uh, around in a, uh, a sort of um, Campervan type thing Uh, in in around about that time he was um, in Portugal and then he went off to North Africa Um, but the dates and other circumstances don't don't match uh, at all if you if you if you if you go into it the the dates don't coincide but the theory is put forward that he could have um, snatched Madeline McCann and taken Madeline to North Africa. Uh, as I say it's too complicated to explain why this story doesn't stand up but the McCann's made a huge big thing of it because this man was um, uh, when this story came to light he was actually seriously ill in hospital in Germany and they made a huge thing of it their media people made a huge thing of it they sent over two of their men to uh, Germany to interview him and he he refused to be interviewed and then he went again and uh, so for, for several weeks we had him trailed as the main suspect, but uh,
1: he had an alibi,
2: he, and he since died. He since oh, died. No. Well, he had a, he did have, he did have an alibi. As I say, it's too complicated to explain. But uh, it was a story that was completely developed by the McCanns. There was really no evi- there was really no evidential support for this, but they promoted that story for whatever reason. Um,
1: can I ask you a question, Tony? What what about this? The, the absence of photographs. Uh so Madeleine McCann died what night of the week was it that Maddie died or or, or she was let's say abducted Tony what day, night of the week day was it six of the trip i know that but i don't know that
2: well let me just answer the question uh, about the photographs yeah. um and all of this is all of this is on on the record as it were mm-hmm. um, the first thing to say is that the McCanns were camera happy If you look at what they put out on the media in the years after Madeline was uh, reported missing, there was videos, Christmas videos, photographs galore. You know they loved their children and took many photographs of the children. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. They were a loving family and took many pictures. And uh, in some of the videos, Madeline looks very happy playing around. All this kind of thing. So, so it's a great mystery that there are so few photographs from that holiday. It is a tremendous mystery now. Only uh, five photographs have been produced from that holiday, which may be from that holiday. Can I just take you through them briefly? Yeah, please. Yeah, five, five photographs. Uh, there are three that we know were taken on the Saturday, on the first day. Uh, there was pictures of Madeleine playing in the playground shortly after the plane landed in Portugal and they got to their apartment. So that accounts for three of the photographs. That only leaves two photographs left, yeah. And you'd have to say, if Madeleine was uh, uh, alive and kicking for the, the rest of the week, why do we only have two photographs? Yeah. Now, the, the other two photographs are, are one of her playing, uh, one of her on a tennis court holding a, a, a clutch of tennis balls, which is called the tennis ball photo. And the other photograph is one of her with her father, Jerry McCann, and sister Emily. Um, by the uh, pool in the Ocean Club. Now, those are the only two photographs that exist, uh, apart from those three, uh, taken on the Saturday. So you've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, five days and only two photographs. It uh, does seem curious. Uh, well, well, where,
1: where do these timestamps come from? Uh, are these, uh, yeah, is, let, is let, it just let, obvious let, let on do, the, yeah, sorry, Tony, let, you go let on, me just you go Let, let
2: me just get to that briefly, let me just get to that. I I would like to say this, and again, it's all on the record. I'm not making any allegations here. This is all on the record. The tennis balls photograph uh, was said to have been taken on either two or three different days by two different people. So there are various (laughs) statements about how this photograph came to be taken. Two different people said, I took the photograph. And then when it was supposed to be taken, it was either Monday, Tuesday or Thursday. Now, That doesn't add up for some of us. Uh, So let's leave the tennis ball photo on one side. That's a curiosity. We can't explain why there are so many different stories about that photograph. That only leaves us with one photograph, which the McCanns say was taken on the Thursday uh, at lunchtime by the pool. Now, again, if, if that's correct, you've got Sunday, Monday. Yes, you've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday without any photographs and you've only got one photograph from thursday this one pool photograph so that again seems very curious yeah um, f- from parents who are
1: super a, uh who are super snap happy yes, as you call on, it. on a holiday exactly, nonetheless yeah. you know yeah, on, exactly. on a, a beach Digital holiday
2: cameras all the rest of it the other strange thing about this pool photograph which has been investigated by uh, um, a, a um A British expat policeman who lives in Spain, uh, he went through all the weather data. Now, the curious thing about this last photograph is that if you look at it on the Internet, you'll see Jerry McCann wearing sunglasses, shorts and T-shirt, the children wearing sun hats um, and dipping their toes in the water, all this kind of thing. It's, It's obviously a warm, sunny day. There's no doubt about that. The curious thing is that when we look at the weather for Thursday as all the weather reports and the satellite data admit, it wasn't a hot warm sunny day. It was cloudy and cool and windy. At the, the only day that week that was sunny all day long was the Sunday. So there are some who say, well, you know, was this photograph taken on Sunday? And Some people say, well, was the, uh, was the date of the photograph changed, the date and timestamp." Yeah. stamp? Which I understand, I'm not an expert on digital cameras, but I understand it's very, very easy to do that. So yeah, and I, I think the, it's important to say, it, Tony,
1: that that in itself would would be flimsy evidence, and it and it could be subject to to m- many kind of theories, and you know m- maybe the cloud broke for a couple of minutes that day and the sun shone through, blah blah blah. So yes, alone, yeah, okay, I can understand it. It's questionable, yeah, but I, I, but not when it's lined up with all these other pieces of information.
2: Well, um, I would only say that, uh, you know, you have to look at every piece of information and uh, often they conflict. Uh, There are two stories and uh, they don't always match up and you have to use your your, uh, investigative skills to work out, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And it's a very difficult uh, thing to do as as there are so many changes of stories and contradictions. But uh, as I say, the photographs... Is there an issue? Um, I I quite agree with you that uh, there could have been a gap in the clouds for a a, a few minutes on that data. We're we're looking at probabilities here, likelihoods, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how likely is it that the photograph was taken on Thursday? The the evidence would appear to be unlikely, but I agree with you, not impossible.
1: Yeah, not impossible, but uh, again, and I must stress, Tony, that I'm talking about all the pieces of information together, and and that's what just makes this case so so bloody compelling to me. So absolutely what, compelling.
2: One thing that we haven't really uh, delved into, and, and this was a, another matter that occupied uh, a lot of my time uh, many years ago. Yeah. Um, and that is some very curious things about the McCann's private investigators. Right. Which your, yeah. um, which your listeners might not know about. And I think that's one area I'd like to mention. Um in September after the um, uh, after the McCann's were made suspects, that was on the 7th of September it's my 60th birthday so I remember it very well um, the um, the McCann's then um, were uh, very much uh, needing extra support from um, lawyers and uh and PR men and, and that kind of thing. And uh, they also then turned to private investigators. And, um, again, I, I, I'll throw a few facts at you, Which, uh, and when I've gone on for too long, you can stop me. But the the very first agency they turned to was a Spanish detective agency called Metodo 3, which means Method 3. Now, um you look at all the reports that we obtained about this agency, and they were the, the they were from Barcelona, by the way, and they were the dodgiest detective agency in the whole city. A, a reputation for running close to the law, um, very poor reputation amongst their fellow professionals, and so on. Now, they were hired for several months, and um, one of the most extraordinary things about their involvement was the uh, a claim made by their boss a chap called francisco marco who in the run-up to christmas 2007 when there was still huge publicity at madeline mccann about madeline mccann he made a, a claim in the papers he said my men know where she is now this was pumped up hugely front page in the all the daily newspapers boss of this agency hired by the mccann's private agency Being my men, we know where she is. Yeah. Very bold claim to make. Yeah. Yeah. A week later, a week later, more statements from this man, Francisco Marco, who said, We're closing in on the kidnappers. Very, very, very definite closing in on the the kidnappers. So more headlines in the British press. Yeah. Then finally, he made another statement similarly saying, Maddie will be home by Christmas. My and uh, this was pumped up, again, hugely in the newspapers. Now, all of this, I must tell you, was complete and utter lies. I'm able to oh say that God. on your programme because uh, it's been admitted. They're, they're all completely made-up stories, uh, obviously for media consumption.
1: But, but That's what? Now, insane. It, it, what, what prompted him to do that? Um, a self-interest or did someone else? Well,
2: he, he was being paid a lot of money by the McCanns. Right, Oh, okay,
1: that. okay, okay, this is all coming um, together then, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, they paid, they paid Metodo 3 a quarter of a million pounds for their work over six months. I think they were on a retainer, if you have a look at the evidence, they were on a retainer of £50,000 uh, a month.
1: Tony, may, may I ask you a, ver- a very, very quick question? H- how much do you think, over the course uh, since 2007, have the uh, McCann's made in terms of cash? Altogether, well, r- round it all up. How, how much do you think?
2: Well, it, it depends what you mean by made. Um, I, I think that's probably uh, uh, the way you put the question is rather difficult to uh, <laughs> he, to he um, put you to on explain. the spot. The, the Net. well, the Net. Um, when you say that, well, the the main the main vehicle they had for um, spending this money, and I've already mentioned to you that they spent half a million pounds paying for the services of Bell Pottinger, another quarter of a million pounds for Metodo Three, this group, more money spent on lawyers. Now, most of that money came from public donations. Oh. Wasn't it yes. McCann's yeah. money?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, uh, I know. Again, they were raising money. Uh,
2: within, within 10 days of Madeleine being reported missing, there was a website running and an invitation to uh, send donations, and the whole, the whole of Britain was exercised by this story, and literally thousands upon thousands of people gave money to the McCann's Fund. It was called the Fine Madeleine Fund. And um, some of the people I I now now know who take a sceptical view of the case, they donated money themselves. They were caught up in this. It was the the word media frenzy is sometimes used a little bit uh, in exaggeration, but there was this media frenzy, and people sent. Money in droves, and in fact, there were stories of how some pensioners said they were so moved by this story that they sent their weekly pension off to the McCanns. So one person said, "Look, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not very well off, and I'm sending you ninety pounds, my weekly pension." There was children who got together their pocket money for several weeks and sent off a, a few pounds to the McCanns. It was it was a huge wave of emotion. Now, that there was lots of organisations that donated. There were celebrities that donated. I can't remember the exact amounts now, but there was you know, people donating 10000 here, £100,000 there. So if you look at the accounts of the fund, there were millions of pounds poured into the fund, mainly from the public and from um, people who were charity-minded, uh, celebrities and so on who wanted to do their bit, as it were. Yeah, I think we're talking so, at least. So that's, when 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 you say have they made money? I think that would be be unfair. They haven't, as far as I know, they haven't made any money. But they have uh, they have, of course, had an income from. Uh, Kate McCann wrote a book on the case in 2011, mm. which did produce an income of about half a million pounds, I think. Uh, are, and, are they are uh, they
1: back working now, Tony? Are they are they both back to full time employment? Um,
2: well, you know? uh, Barry McCann's. Jerry McCann's career is developed and he's now a professor, professor of cardiology at the um, Leicester Hospitals Trust. Uh, Kate McCann uh, vowed that she would give up work um, uh, in order to concentrate on looking for Madeleine. She said that in the early weeks. Uh, she's got a post, an unpaid post, I believe. As a, she's now the ambassador for an organisation called Missing People. So she acts as an ambassador to kind of raise the profile of this organization called Missing People, but I don't. I don't think she gets any payment.
3: Mickey, Mickey and Jimmy, I got a question for you guys. Where is like the court of public opinion in the UK on on the family on on the parents? Like, are
1: people still uh, sympathetic? I, I, or
2: I, I, I think right, I, would, I I'm sorry. I I, I, I can. I think I can help you on that. I oh, think. Okay. Uh, Go on. Go on. the the, the, the vast majority of people i i do speak to people about this case but um the the, the vast majority the, the the overwhelming majority will will go along with the official story i, I i'm talking about 70 80 90 percent, possibly um you will get some people who um don't go into the detail but say well i think some people will say well you know i think they must have been involved somehow or they had they had did, i think they had something to do with it you'll hear people say but um there's relatively few of us who've become immersed in the case and studied it in detail. So, um, you know, the vast majority, if you ask 10 people on the street, probably eight or nine of them would say, uh, you know, she was abducted. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's because the discussion of the details has occurred on the Internet, but not in the mainstream media.
3: This that's hmm. kind of a, a, a common thread across a lot of these these true crime things. That, yeah. that the main narrative is, stays the main narrative.
1: Yeah, and and then there's sort of ten percent of, of the population that are in these echo chambers on these uh, kind of uh, web sleuth sites and yeah. think, uh, on these conspiracy echo, sites. I, and,
2: I, yeah. yeah, echo chambers is probably quite a good idea. I wouldn't consider. I wouldn't consider my, my efforts and those of police officers and others professionals who've cooperated. they're, they're, they're not you know, part of a conspiracy theory no. echo chamber. But it, it is a little bit like that um, because it, the, the story doesn't go beyond the internet. You're quite right.
1: Actually, Tony, I, I, I'm on your side. I think it's fishy as hell. So, you know, if, if I, 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 I wasn't actually... Um, I wasn't kind of pointing that at you when I said that because I, I'm on your side. I, I think, for, firstly... A loving parent would just not leave their children al- alone, and I think that's. I, I don't know. I I
3: sort of think that that's not crazy. I guess the it's difference crazy. is three or four years old to me is a lot different. I think than like eight or nine or ten. But I remember going on vacations with my parents and other family friends, and like they would go up to a hotel restaurant or bar, and we would hang out in the room, like, and they would come down and check that. That's not that insane no, she to was me. Three and a. Yeah, I know that that's the
1: difference. I guess is three or four is a lot different than like seven, eight, or nine. Mm. Uh, Tony, can I ask you a question? Do you think uh, Madeline's still alive? Obviously, no. But the, in, the, my,
2: the, in my opinion, no. In my opinion, no, she's not.
1: Yeah, because there've been all these kind of um, aging photo fits of her and stuff that says this is what she'd look like now and blah blah. blah. But are, are people just? Uh, are people grasping at straws, basically?
2: Well, um, one of the things we haven't touched on uh, at all is the, uh, is the fact that there is an active police investigation going on at the moment. Um, and uh, that began the day after Kate McCann published her book on the case. The, the, she published a book called Madeline. About 350 pages in uh, may 2011 which was the fourth anniversary of madeline going missing and uh, the book had been serialized um in britain's leading daily newspaper called the sun yeah and we believe we believe that um uh, kate mccann was paid half a million to a million pounds for that which she says was put into the madeline fund so there's another source of income if you like it goes into the fund but the um the book was serialized, and on the last, uh, uh, on the um, the end of the serialization, well, I think it was the date the book was published, the uh, the editor of The Sun wrote to um, David Cameron, the prime minister, and said, look, you must set up a review. We we don't know what's happened to Madeleine. You must set up a review into this case. And, uh, of course, this was all choreographed behind the scenes, so uh, this wasn't an instant decision, but the vote- next day david cameron said yes i've listened to this uh letter this moving letter and i will do all i can to help the family and so the investigation was set up um took a few weeks to get going but since 2011 um it's been going now for um where are we now seven years and one month now yeah that has cost that that investigation though never mind the cost of the portuguese investigation never mind the cost of leicestershire police this investigation which is been going on for seven years, uh, has cost thirteen million pounds, and as far as we can see, those of us interested in the case, it has achieved diddly squat so far. Apart from the one thing it has delivered is a hugely influential television programme uh, promoting the the Smith Man as the main suspect. So, um, the the public anger is beginning to increase about money being, as it were it seems, pour down the drain on this one case when, you know, there are other missing children cases and uh, people are asking perhaps more and more, why, what is it achieving? What are they trying to do? Do they really think they're going to find Madeleine alive or solve this case? So why is year after year money being poured down with nothing in sight? The only tangible thing we have so far is a a one-hour television programme watched by 7 million people.
0: Do you, do you think that investigation Tony would be would have been set up if there were no sort of previous players uh in you know either the PR side or anything you know no no previous sort of uh connections very high up into government do you th- do you think that would would be set up or not
2: what, a genuinely independent investigation. Well,
0: I mean, it sounds to me that just before they published the last part of the uh, of the bio- not the biography of the of Kate's book, the Sun editor yeah. went to and obviously Rupert Rupert Murdoch is is an owner of the mm-hmm. Sun and a big contributor to the Conservative Party. But my question is, let, let, let's let's take out the, the PR gurus and everything like that. Um is it unusual for you know the sun newspaper to go to a government and demand an uh, an investigation or an inquiry?
2: Well um not that unusual because the the editor of the sun at the time was somebody called Rebecca Brooks. Oh. Uh, oh. and she ginger was, minger. Um, sorry?
1: The Ginger Minger. <laughs>
2: well yeah. She certainly had red hair, yes, and, and a temper and a temperament to go with it.
1: Um, <laughs> Indeed, but, sir. Uh,
2: um, She's a fiery. You it wouldn't be unusual. The, the Sun was a very, um, very campaigning newspaper, and yeah. um, it wouldn't have been unusual. Um, uh, um, but I think to go to the prime minister and get a response within 24 hours would look like it was all pre-organized. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, by the way, oh, oh. just now that you've brought Rupert Murdoch into the conversation, uh, perhaps just a little thing, again, for your listeners to chew on. Um, when Clarence Mitchell was employed by the government to run the publicity relations for the uh, McCann case for a whole year until September 2008, the moment that uh, the, the government said, well, you know, we no longer le- uh, need you in that, he was offered a job by um the uh, Rupert Murdoch's son in law um James I to remember him sorry
0: oh no that's his son James this is his son isn't
2: it oh, no 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 uh I'm trying to remember the name now he's uh, he ran uh, his name was um Freud Matthew Freud uh, at uh, Freud Communications uh, a uh, he was the um son I think of Clement Freud the um the the child sexual abuser who lived in um, Pride of it happened. But oh. obviously, obviously there are connections with the murder um, the, the, the. Yeah, murder he's a suspect, there. isn't he? Who?
1: Clement Freud.
2: Oh, oh Clement Freud. Well, uh, as I say, uh, Clement Freud's father of... Um, it's just one of those coincidences in the case. I, I wouldn't personally read too much into it, but Clement Freud was exposed as a, a serial abuser of girls. Um, and he lived... Uh, he, 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 had was, a he was from he belgium had a
1: right he, he had the sex um the sex dungeon in belgium
2: no 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 is no, that no, someone no, different no, no. no that's no no we're going too far there we're going too far oh, okay clement oh, Freud okay. was a british mp and right very i'm famous sorry for yeah yeah, t- yeah i programs yeah no no um he he did uh cooking programs cookery programs on television and uh he, he appeared on the show Just a Minute. I don't know if you know it. Um, I do. The radio, Yeah, Radio program. He appeared regularly on that. And he was very good, actually. He often used to win it. So he was a bit of a polymath. He was good at lots of things. But uh, it came out after he died, as these things do, that he had um, been molesting young girls for um, many years. And it's just one of those strange coincidences in this case that he should have a villa in... Pride de luge and um of course the mccanns went to see him while they while they were in Pride to luge they went they went to have dinner with clement freud dun,
4: hmm. dun, on, a,
2: on a couple of occasions but okay. uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into that it's just one of those strange coincidences i think
0: okay i did have a follow-up question about the investigations and just how these sort of mm-hmm. typically work um is it unusual for the son of for an investigation after a newspaper has demanded an investigation for the investigation to have lasted for so long um, without question and hemorrhaging money and delivering zero results
2: yes highly unusual for the first point that's highly unusual is that the prime minister has got the ability to order an investigation in the first place because that is a, a police matter The police, we've given the the police the powers in this country to decide what they will investigate. Now, strictly speaking, nobody should tell the police what to do. The police have got their own priorities in terms of preventing crime and solving crime. You You cannot have a situation where politicians... Even if they're the prime minister, it, order an investigation. It, it's
0: political interference, isn't it? I mean, surely it is. It is sure, yeah, surely so, that's going to yeah. sort of set the set the wheels in motion, going down a perhaps a, a side street. You know, it'll go down the main street yeah. to begin with, yeah. but it's not a truly well, that, sort of yeah. impartial investigation. There's political bias and well, force. Uh,
2: this, this is what this is what I've said all along. Let me just throw into the mix, and this has been publicly admitted. By um, Rebecca Brooks, the uh, whatever you call it, the Ginger Minjar or whatever, um, the feisty actually, red one. Oh, oh. The feisty, the feisty red one. We'll stick with that one then. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> nice one anyway for she, the Ginger Minjar, Tony. She
2: she admitted at, at the Leveson inquiry, which is a public inquiry, that she had threatened David Cameron, the Prime Minister, with a week of bad headlines about Home Secretary Theresa May. If she didn't get away, and Cameron did not order a review, now if you look at the transcript where she was dealing with this issue at the Leveson Inquiry, Lord Leveson asked her in public, "Did you um, th- uh, did you th- threaten David Cameron with a week of bad headlines about the Home Secretary Theresa May?" And uh, it, it, you must have a look at the the video; it's on the internet. But basically, she winks and uh, says. Uh, no, I would use a different word. And uh, so what? Lord Leveson says, well, what word do you use then? If not threatened, she, she winks again and says, I would say persuaded.
4: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, but in order for this investigation to take place, I'll tell you what was said on the record. David Cameron said, well, I've asked the Home Secretary to look into this. And the Home Secretary, Theresa May, said, well, I've, I've asked the um, head of the Metropolitan Police to consider this and the story that was put out was that the head of the met at the time sir paul Stevenson, had come to his own decision that there ought to be a review into madeline mccann so the way it was spun Mm. was that this man sir paul Stevenson, had made this decision completely on his own without political interference of course nobody really believed that
0: got you can can we can we sort of uh rewind a little bit and um can can we get back to the point where the McCanns had come back to the UK, and mm-hmm. that things were that were the, the news cycle was was beginning to sort of decrease its intensity, um, and you know on, on the case, and things sort of started to wind down. I mean, was was there anything sort of? obvious there that maybe the public would have been sucked into during those times tony that stood out to you like a red herring as to oh this happened and then you know the the has the, the suddenly died down i mean was, was were there any red flags
2: well um the story from that's a very interesting point you've made because um, the publicity on the 7th of september 8th 9th was huge let me just pick out a few points that stand out um within uh, four days um, a very wealthy businessman uh... had offered to help them cans is this philip green the, no 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 this is um, brian kennedy
0: okay sorry go ahead
2: uh, brian kennedy uh... he's offered to to help and uh, fund a private investigation and pay for it and he is the man who headed the um... private investigation for the McCanns for years and uh... Within two days of him offering to help, there was a meeting on Friday the... Let's get this right. The Friday the 14th of September. That's right. Friday the 14th of September. So four days after the McCann's flown back, there was a top-level meeting in uh, London at uh, one of the top London solicitors where various lawyers and um, PR people got together and uh, organised a, a kind of fight back, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, that that took various forms, and we, we don't know the details, but they were engaged to kind of uh, fight back, no doubt give the McCann's legal advice where they stood on things like extradition, for example. That would have been one issue. Um, and that of, was followed. Of, with, of, of uh, course,
0: that would be sort of used as some sort of, that legal framework that they stood within would then have been used to sort of come back and, and be fed into the strategy, one would guess, yeah? PR, yes correct
2: correct yeah correct if, if i look back the main thing that happened over the next few months was a procession of stories many of them if not most developed by the McCanns of sightings here there and everywhere now i've mentioned to you already one v- very prominent sighting that is the man with the mustache and the straggly hair now that that v- v- again it's hard to summarize but that was put together with the help of the Portuguese police and the British police in uh, in Leicestershire. It was a joint effort, and uh, that was a major, major story which ran for many days. A new suspect, you know, all on the lookout for the man with straggly hair and a moustache, that kind of thing. So, and there were, But there were many stories like that, uh, uh, really not just over those few months, but carrying on in 2009, 2010, and so on, so... That was the major feature. I, I would like to highlight um, one particular development which I believe illustrates many things in this case and that is the search for Madeleine's bones in the uh, lake in Portugal. Do you remember that at all? I do. Yeah, there was two weeks, one in late January 2008 and the other the second week of March 2008 when there was huge publicity about a search for Madeleine's bones in the Aradi Dam, a lake, um, you know, dammed lake in uh, southern Portugal. And uh, it was um, engineered, uh, this it, this was the idea of a man called Marcus Aragoa Correa. He was the um, the man who organised the first search for the bones and the second search for for bones. Now, th- this is important, so, so don't interrupt me for a minute or so, so we get these details correct. Go on. Uh, Marcus Arago Correa was, and he's admitted this on the record, was employed by the McCanns. There's no doubt about that. He said it on many occasions. He was employed directly by the McCanns from about November 2007. Now... On the 10th of December, this is all on the record, on the 10th of December, Marcus Aragoa, who was a solicitor from the island of Madeira in the Atlantic Ocean, travelled to the Aradi Dam. 10th of December, this is about six weeks before the search for Madeleine's bones. Now, also at that meeting was one of the Metodo three dodgy investigators, a man called Antonio Jimenez Razzo. Uh, let me just tell you briefly, Antonio Jiménez Raza was arrested uh, two months later in February on suspicion of drugs offences and um, police corruption. And it turned out he was involved with a 27-strong gang of uh, of um, drug dealers in, in Portugal, and he spent four years in jail, although I must say he was eventually acquitted. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Obviously, the McCanns got rid of him as soon as this story came to light. But basically, uh, if you can picture the scene at the Iradi Dam on the 10th of December are Marcus Saragoa Correa, who's employed by the McCanns, and Antônio Jimenez Razo, who's employed by the McCanns and Brian Kennedy. So both men are at this dam, uh, paid by the McCanns. What are they doing at this dam uh, six weeks before the search for Madeleine's bones each of, the, each of the men had travelled several hundred miles presumably paid by the McCann's, the McCanns fund to be at the Aradhy Dam and to have a chat Yeah. Uh, again all on the record why were those two men there who sent them there why were they there and what connection does that have with the fact that there was a search for Madeleine's bones six weeks later what I'm trying to say to you is this search for Madeleine's bones was in effect paid for by the McCann's Incredible. It, it, it's all, you can find this written up on, on the internet. There's, there's, there's no great secret about it, but you'd think in a way that this was the would be the kind of story that there would be a documentary about, you know? I mean, it's crying out for a documentary, isn't it, on mainstream television. What were these two men doing at the Iradi Dam? Marcus Aragoa Correa, paid by the McCanns. Antonio Jimenez Razo, paid by the McCanns. What were they doing there? What were they planning, Yeah. You know? But no, nobody will touch it you can, The only place you can find out about this amazing stories is on the internet
0: Wow wow that's incredible i mean there's only there's going to be one likely uh, result from that uh, damn investigation right no doubt
1: <coughs> um,
0: do do you have a question Willie or do 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 we want to start to look at sort of motives and let's assume you know if the, the McCanns were involved in that. Yeah. What, why it happened? And I mean, could this just been an accident gone wrong, for example, or you know? I mean, uh, who, have, who knows? Who knows? Is it, right. could could can we sort of go into that area, um, Tony? It, or I,
2: I will I will I will answer it a different way. I will answer it, um, but, but by taking a slightly different point. Um, how many cases have there been? Where a child has died, and the parents have covered this up with an abduction story. How many yes. have there been? Yes, it,
0: it's now, very common, isn't it, to, uh, we to hear have,
2: that? I mean, there are, there's there's one or two in the news at the moment. Uh, I could give you some names of uh, of similar stories uh, in America and in Britain and in many countries.
0: Well, John Bernay um, as well, John benet right?
2: Yes, well. Well, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the well, the uh, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that he was k- killed by the uh, a member of the family. Sure. Um, uh, it could have been the father. It could have been the, the mother. It could have been the uh, the, the brother. Son, we don't know. The br- sorry, the brother. Yeah, the brother. That's right. He he probably he he probably had a motive. I would think with all this attention on the you should listen girl, to
0: you time. should listen to our podcast. Yeah, we're not talking about Burke.
1: <laughs> we're talking about uh, Bill. Bill Ramsey. Anyway, please, please go on. Please go on. There's
0: absolutely abduction.
2: In that case, the I mean, uh, I mean, sorry to go back to John Bernay uh, Ramsay because that that shows the extent to, to which people invent stories. I mean, I would say that the uh, the John Bernay Ramsay story is even more unbelievable than the Madeleine McCann one in a way because there was a body in the cellar and the. The claim was that the the uh, the person who killed uh, John Belley Ramsey had crept into the house uh, in the late hours of Christmas Eve and uh, had done something terrible to to the girl, and then dumped her in the cellar and walked out without leaving a trace in the snow outside. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so what, what I'm saying is that. that Unfortunately, uh, accidents do happen. A lot of the, Some of these are murders, some of them are accidents, but there are many, many, many cases and uh, we, we've been having a look at them. They pop up every few months everywhere where uh, a child goes missing and uh, it turns out sometimes many, many years later that the, uh, the child has been um, murdered or that there has been a tragic accident which uh, people are trying to cover up. If I, I, I can just take up a, a minute or so to, 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 to give you one of those examples, which Please. is very relevant to the Madeleine McCann case. And uh, that is the case of Eugene and Jeanette Zapata. Now, Jerry McCann first brought this case to public notice because in the Eugene, uh, Jeanette Zapata had gone missing and Eugene, uh, the husband, told lies about what had happened to her, said she'd gone missing. And Jerry McCann quoted this case in October 2007 because in that case the judge had ruled that he would not accept the evidence from the dog handler. Now, the dog handler in that case had uh, d- demonstrated by his dogs that, that there had been a corpse at one location in the house and then miles away in a uh, cabin somewhere. The dog had been taken and alerted in both those places, suggesting that Jeanette's body had been moved from a place in the house to a cabin uh, many miles away. Now, the judge in that case said that he could not accept the dog's evidence because there was no um, real proof that the dog's alerts were 100% reliable. So he he threw it out of the court case and... uh, uh, Jerry McCann and his lawyers teased onto that and said, well, there you are. Here's a judge saying that these the dog's evidence is unreliable. Now, we all forgot about the story until four months later, um, Eugene Zapata made a full and frank confession. We don't know why he did, but he made a full confession. And in his confession, he explained that, yes, he had killed uh, uh, his wife in the lounge, put a body somewhere else in the house, and then taken it to this cabin. So in that case which Jerry McCann quoted um the dogs had been 100% accurate they had the dogs had alerted to the past presence of a corpse in the zapata's house and then in this cabin a few miles away so um they weren't that unreliable in that case were they
3: so why isn't they the dog evidence accurate? why isn't why isn't that that's not considered forensic evidence is it
2: actually I... I was just reading on the internet this morning. I, I mean, we've been having a look at the things that these dogs can do is are unbelievable. Explosives, they can distinguish between different kinds of explosive drugs. They can distinguish between heroin and cannabis and uh, cocaine. Mm. Uh, it's used in hospitals now to detect cancers and other medical conditions. And I got this straight off the internet this morning. There's a news story about how um, dogs' alerts are helping... Uh, beekeepers to uh, detect disease in bees. There's a particular kind of smell given off by some kind of uh, uh, bacteria in, in in the bees, and the beekeepers are using sniffer dogs to to, to track this, to, to so they can deal with any illness in the bee colony. Wow. So the I mean the Jerry McCann famously gave an interview in which he he dismissed the dog's evidence as. Uh, he said the words were incredibly unreliable, but um,
3: not the case. W-
2: you know why are why are explosive experts, um, police officers searching for drugs, hospitals and beekeepers using these dogs because they are, abs- you know, they are incredibly accurate.
0: So let's let's get back to you know motives and reasons why. I mean, he. J- Obviously, Jerry, if, if you were to look at it with a, a very, well, I wouldn't say sceptical, but if you were to look at it with an alternative theory in one's eye, Jerry had motive for pushing people off the scent, pardon the pun, of uh, the mm-hmm. cadaver dogs, right?
2: It's so, the same with, I mean, uh, 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 when you say motives, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say to you by looking at all these other cases of which there are dozens, if hundreds, where a yeah. child has gone missing. I mean, uh, the motive is desperation to cover up something which shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Uh, so, um, if it had been a, if it had been just an accident, yeah, if 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 Madeline had fallen off a chair and cracked her head, shall we say, and uh, suffered serious injury or died, what, why would you not take the child to the hospital?
0: Sure. Yeah. Especially given the profession that uh, both parents yeah, are in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They're all they're all doctors, so. Uh, it, it has been suggested. In fact, the, the the detective who wrote the book on the case uh, said that we've got no evidence that anything other than an accident happened. And and to be honest, neither have I nor has anybody else. We we just don't know. But it seems to me and a lot of us unlikely that um, it could have just been an accident. If if she ha- if indeed she has died, and I'm not saying that she has, but I'm just uh, saying that if, if if she has died, then. Uh, it, to my mind, it must be more than just an accident, if you see what I mean. And and, and uh, so there must, if she has died, and again, I, I emphasize I'm not saying that she did, but if she did, then there must surely be something more than an accident, is the way I would put it. Sure.
1: Tony, so, have you heard uh, the uh, John and Tony Podesta uh, link? I know it's very tenuous, yeah. and uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that you're going to say this is... Complete bullshit, but I think our listeners would be uh, extremely uh, interested to hear your thoughts on that particular angle
2: well w- w- what is completely inaccurate is a, a, a ridiculous claim which was put forward by a a, a completely uh, off the wall conspiracy uh, organization that the pedestrians were actually in, in um, yeah in uh, yeah, uh, in May two thousand and seven now that's easily capable of being disproved, and it's complete nonsense. Now, all that I, all that I will say is, uh, 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 and I can only su- suggest that people go to the internet and look these things up, but one of the very, very curious uh, developments in this case, which we've not discussed at all, is that in July, early July 2007, this is only eight weeks or so after Madeleine's been reported missing, Jerry McCann took a trip to Washington for five days. Now, I mention this because he spent most of those five days with a chap called Ernie Allen, who is the um, the top bloke in an organisation called the National Association for Missing Children. I've not quite got the words right, the National Committee for Missing Children, something like that is also uh, so important that he's also the chairman and chief executive of the international campaign for um, uh, missing children. It's called ICMEC, International Campaign for Missing and Exploited Children. I think I've got the title right. I would would suggest to you that a, a worthy study would be this man, Ernie Allen, because his connections are very interesting. The he has got a uh, an indirect connection to the podestas he's got a he's got certainly direct con, uh, connections to um richard branson for example who uh, uh offered to help the McCann's. and uh i just find it we we find it curious that he should in the midst of all this effort to find madeline why he would spend 5 days in the company of ernie allen who does have indirect contact with the protesters in or indirect associations with the same people um i only offer that for um further study
1: tony i,
2: I make no other comment
1: tony you're you're being provocative you're being provocative my friend
2: no i no i'm i'm here i'm here to give
0: facts <laughs> <Factually>. <laughs> he's being
1: factually provocative i love it, I love it because uh,
2: please yeah. please check it out on the internet he spent five days in washington with ernie allen chatting to him going to meetings and so on Ernie Allen, look at, just have a look at Ernie Allen's connections.
4: Okay.
1: And, so, there's, and there's me just thinking we were just going to shut it down, Tony. And, uh, you've yeah, given well, us a little I, bit of a slither to hang on to there. Well, can, can, can I can I just sort of progress
0: with the... Go on, Jimmy. Go the motifs and things. Because there's a few things that have always sort of troubled me that... I mean, obviously, we've seen the media face of, of John and Kate. You know, Kate's written her book, um, you know, which I'm sure was was stewarded by the uh, the public relations company to some extent, or and or a publishing company.
2: But I mean, what, I dare what... say, I, I dare say there was a proofreader. Yeah, okay, <laughs> right. So, but I mean, what really
0: fundamentally, what sort of characters are, are we dealing with here, John? I mean. I don't think they're inherently evil. Uh, I just said John, sorry, <laughs> sorry Tony. I don't think they're inherently evil, but um have they have they sort of given any anything away, Get, you know, dropped their hand so to speak of you know that they, they could be sort of very manipulative people or any Anything like I'm that sure outside true, of the the public arena? I, I think they're,
1: they're one man, manipulative.
2: Gonna, I'm going to be honest here and say say Burgers. this actually. I, I've I've looked at the photographs of Madeline McCann and yeah. the children which the the, the um, McCanns have put out, um, still photographs and um, videos, and what I see is three happy, well looked after children.
0: Sure. And sure.
2: I've also looked at the three photographs which uh, are taken on that holiday, right? Uh, of Madeline in the playground. There's a, a picture of a very nice, happy family picture. Jerry McCann is swinging Madeline around, and one or two other children watching. Yeah, happy scene. Then there are two more photographs which we know were taken on a Saturday, of um, Madeline playing in a Wendy house, mm-hmm. standing by the Wendy house, looking at it. Now. That is an authentic, happy child on holiday, exploring new territory, yep. family all happy in their new surroundings. So I've got no... There's nothing really untoward that uh, appears to have happened in their, in their background. The, the only thing that's slightly unusual about the McCanns is that all their three children were born by IVF procedures.
4: Oh, yeah. In, in, just in, remembered.
2: in, in, yeah. in vitro fertilization. That's the only unusual thing and um, I completely forgot about um, that some some people are interested in that but all I can say is that given that this is a happy family with um, three happy children and they're you know they're happy on the journey out to Pride delusion. they're happy in the playground there that Mm. all I can say is if if something untoward happened and we we, we don't know what it might be it might have been an Mm. accident it could have been who knows who knows but Obviously, if something untoward has happened, um, which can't be explained to the hospital, then there is going to be the need for a cover-up.
0: Just, just as another alternative theory, I mean, is is it possible, to, or how possible do you think it is, Tony, where an accident did happen, and then because they're on foreign soil in a relatively small town in Portugal, that there was just this onset of panic. And uh, they, they came together, you know, with the with the group of seven, and said, "This is what's happened. People are not going to believe us. We 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 need a narrative."
2: Well, doctors are known to cover each other uh, for each other, so are friends. So, uh, you know, what? As I say, I, d- I don't say that she she is dead, but uh, if she is dead, then uh, um, the, the natural. The natural inclination would be, look, let's let's um, find a way out of this. Um, we, there must have been some reason why um, uh, a cover-up was put in place, if that's what it was. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened, and uh, nobody actually knows. Okay. No, nobody knows what happened if if she is dead. So- um, and nobody knows why.
0: Okay, so uh, are there any other credible theories, alternative theories that uh, we haven't discussed and, uh, you know, that, um, are, that, that well, have come up? And a- is there any a- new a- evidence that's come up in recent years?
2: To be absolutely fair, um, a, a third alternative is pushed by a few people. Um, it, it forms the centerpiece of one book about Madeline McCann, and that is that she wandered off. So um, abduction is one possibility. Um, uh, death is another, but uh, wandered off has been put forward by a few people. Um, it doesn't seem to be a very credible theory. And it I it think doesn't,
1: especially with the cadaver dogs as well. Um,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: you know. yeah. yeah, I, th- I think um, I think the thing is when you add either one of these theories in there, and, and you try and uh, you try and be devil's advocate don't you? So you say, oh, well, maybe she wandered off. And you try and give them the... I'll tell you what there is. You try and give them the benefit of the doubt. Of does. course. That's what you do. And you say, well, maybe she wandered off. But there's cadaver dogs. Well, maybe this happened to her. But they weren't fucking looking after her. Well, maybe this happened. Well, this there's just too many negative uh, and black strikes against the name for me, Tony. I, I, you, you, you've,
2: you've touched on an interesting point there because the... Um when the investigation uh, was launched in by the Metropolitan Police in 2011, any police investigation into something as serious as a disappearance will have what's called a remit, mm-hmm. and that is that somebody high up will set the parameters of the investigation. Now, most investigations of a missing child um, or a death of a child would would be go anywhere find anything, pursue every line of inquiry. In other words, no limit. So the senior investigating officer would be free to go wherever he thinks the evidence leads him. Now, this was not the case in the Metropolitan Police investigation because the um, detective chief superintendent, who was the, the overall man in charge of this, Madeleine and review, came up with a, a limited remit. And so the investigating officers could not go wherever they wanted to. The remit was investigate the disappearance of Madeleine McCann as if it was an abduction that hand, happened on British soil. So the remit, and the police officers cannot go beyond a remit. If, if they're set a remit, they're not allowed to go beyond it. So the remit set by the boss of the Metropolitan Police was... You are only allowed to investigate the abduction. You do not look at the parents and you do not look at their friends. <laughs> and hmm. that is putting a limit on an investigation which some people would say was yeah. not appropriate. It's certainly, it's certainly highly unusual. But that, but, but that
0: must have just been a limit then on the UK police that revolved. I mean, the, surely yeah. they couldn't have put that remit on the Spanish police, right? Or on, on the Portuguese police.
2: Please. No, indeed not. No, indeed. I mean, the the Port- I mean, the Portuguese police um, conducted a very thorough investigation into all these things, and I, I read that part of the uh, report by the uh, deputy inspector. He it was a very good, well-written, well-argued report. Um, of course, the when it got to the uh, final report, the um, police and the attorney general decided that there was not sufficient evidence uh, to charge anybody, and so the. The Portuguese police has archived this case uh, many years ago, so, and they are not currently. You
0: know, sorry, Tony, go ahead.
2: Well, they're not currently conducting any investigation. They they are, they are merely cooperating with whatever Scotland Yard or okay. metropolitan police wants them to do. Okay, but
0: I'm I'm just sort of thinking about the 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 UK pre uh, the UK police remit. Um, and how much of a an impact that that could have had on them steering the investigators in in Portugal, right? Um, or, or, or could it? Could it have? You know, I, I think um, uh, uh, sort of getting to conspira- conspiracy I, 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 I theory to say, time I, I, now. I,
2: I, there is no, there is no active investigation going on by the Portuguese police. A few people think there is, but there is nothing. The only thing they're doing is cooperating with Scotland Yard and uh, with, with the Metropolitan Police. And, uh, sure. I don't know if you remember this. There was, um, in 2014, we talk about four years ago, there was a, a dramatic uh, week. In fact, I think it was two weeks, two separate weeks, where, do if you remember this, do you remember the helicopters being sent to uh, look at a patch of spare ground in Pride's Illusion? You had British police officers with pickaxes yeah, covering us uh, some waste ground in uh, in Pride de Luz. A couple yeah, of uh, I remember this. Areas that, I mean, this was all heavily coordinated with the Portuguese police. The P- Portuguese were not, police were not investigating; they were merely supervising the um, uh, the search and the dig. Uh, they provided a military helicopter, top-of-the-range military helicopter, to to. Uh, scan the area from uh, with um, cameras from the air, uh, all that kind of thing. But uh, it was all um, done by the British police. The, the Portuguese police were not actively engaged in that other than providing personnel to supervise it. And the extraordinary thing about this was that although these things are normally conducted in secret, you had television cameras all around uh, uh, um, looking at the um, police digging and uh, the end result of this was I think they collected half a dozen rabbit bones and that was it
0: fascinating so okay let's fast forward to to today I mean there's obviously some things going on Um, I mean where do you see things concluding if at all so
2: well the the Madeline McCann investigation by the Metropolitan Police can't be can't go on much longer I think the public will Find it very very strange if if it carries on more than I mean we're we're now 11 years on yeah. and there's absolutely no prospect of any any possible solution at all. Um, there's n- there's nothing in sight at all. Um, there is a group called the Madeleine McCann Research Group which has recently sent a letter to Portugal with some new evidence, and uh, this new evidence. Uh, includes the um, analysis of when the last photograph was taken for example and uh, the portuguese police are looking at that at the moment that's uh, the only new development i can think of
1: tony if, if people want to look into the case what what are the best sort of uh, resources for them to do that
2: probably the starting point for um anybody looking at the uh, the case with a skeptical eye would be first of all to get hold of a a copy of an English translation of Goncalo Amaral's book called The Truth of the Law, and also an accompanying documentary with English subtitles which uh, again covers the main uh, uh, contents of the book. So really I think that there are many places on the internet where you can get uh, information about the case, some of it uh, not very good infa- information at all, some of it completely wrong. and uh, all kinds of conspiracy theories. But there are places where you can get good evidence. Um, but I would make that my starting point. Um, there have been documentaries produced uh, on Madeline McCann on the internet, which you can find. Um, go and have a look at the, at the uh, account by Amaral, first of all, and that will probably lead you on, if you look on YouTube, to other, other, other good places to have a look.
4: Okay.
1: That's, uh, and I, th- I think it's important for us to, to tell our listeners, Tony, that this isn't some conspiracy theory bullshit. I mean, you've spent many years looking into this, and you, I think you've written a book as well that uh, unfortunately is, is not available to the uh, general public. But um, So I think people need to look at this with more than a, a sort of ounce of um, integrity, really, because it... it <sighs> I don't know. The people
2: I've been working with are not conspiracy theorists. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
2: The main, the, main, the main person that who's, who's really been uh, driving this uh, investigation is a man known on the internet as Peter Mack. Yeah. Uh, he, is a, he is a retired police superintendent who lives in uh, Spain and he has done a very patient analysis of 28 aspects of the case and he's published a free e-book on the internet. Now, I'm not saying whether he's right or wrong, but he's got very good analysis there. He's not a man who jumps to conclusions. He has police experience. He's not a conspiracy nutcase. He doesn't go anywhere near the conspiracy sites. If you Google Madeleine McCann, Peter Mac, P-E-T-E-R-M-A-C, you will get his... uh, Ebook and um it's fascinating stuff
1: oh so so you 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 think he's a good resource for people if if they want to know more about the case he's he's a good place uh, to start right cool
2: it would be very difficult to fault his research yes
1: cool excellent and tony uh where can people come where where can people find you uh if they if they want to know more about Uh, tony bennett
2: it depends why they want to find me not not for legal reasons my email is not a secret. Uh, people can uh, write to me if they want to. Uh, and I'm on AJS Bennett at btinternet.com.
1: Oh, he's just giving out his real email address there. Okay. Go on, kids. Uh, you know, I've got, get in contact. I've
2: got nothing to hide. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Tony, this has been an awesome interview. It's been great, hasn't it? Thank you so much. And uh, I, I've been riveted all the way through. And what have we done? A couple of hours there. And it's just flown by like it was 30 minutes. Uh, thank you so much. So, uh, I hope
2: I've stuck, stuck to the facts. I hope I haven't made any
1: allegations. <laughs> well, well, so do we, Tony. We don't want you locked up. But, I mean, we want you to yeah. come on again, right. you know? You have indeed, sir. You've been right. great. You've, You've been, been fantastic. <laughs> thank so, you. Uh, all the best, then. Thank you, Tony. Thank Will- you so much, Tony. Willie, where can people find you, Sunshine? Yeah,
0: at Twitter, at Willie Delius. Come find me.
1: Jimmy, where can people find you? As
0: usual, I'll be
1: probably laid down in a gutter somewhere. Okay, you can find me at Crypto Mickey uh, on Twitter, and you can find us at this strange.life, lot, or at Strange Life This uh, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. subscribe <laughs> and review. Subscribe and review. Tony, you've been a star. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care and and do tune in next week. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.